0: Rick and Morty's Impossible Choice Explained. Welcome back to Nerdist News, I'm Dan Casey, and today we're breaking down the latest episode of Rick and Morty. Titled On mort rickin Season 7's fifth episode marks the end of an era for this show. The series has always kept its own canon at arm's length, while a rabid, sauced-up fanbase just clamored and clamored for more. Well, folks, be careful what you wish for, because sometimes it's more than you bargained for. We're gonna break down the shocking developments of this episode in just a moment, but to do so we have to spoil what happens. So if you haven't seen it yet and you're worried about that sort of thing, find the nearest portal on out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it works! Oh, do you realize how free and empowered I just made us? <laughs> I did it! Best father ever! <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get into it, shall we? I think I speak for many Rick and Morty fans out there when I say, holy sh- I don't think any of us saw this particular turn of events coming. Rick and Morty is a series that's preferred not to lean too heavily into its own cannon on a week to week basis. But when they do come out swinging with a major lore dump, by God, do they come out swinging. And so, a few times each season, we learn more about some of the key players in this overarching story. Rick C-137 and his quest for vengeance, Rick Prime, the man who invented interdimensional travel and killed Rick C-137's wife, and Evil Morty, quite possibly the most devious and dangerous grandson in the multiverse. This episode drops some major lore about how Evil Morty became Evil Morty, and it brings Rick C-137 and Rick Prime's epic battle to a brutal conclusion. And the reason that it brought Rick Prime's saga to a bloody, pulpy finish ties into the episode's namesake. The episode is named for the 1992 Oscar-winning Western Unforgiven. It's a brutal saga of violence, vengeance, and the toll it takes on us. In Unforgiven, Clint Eastwood plays Will Money, a retired gunslinger who now lives as a widower running a hog farm. He left his life of violence behind, but violence wasn't done with him. Perhaps the most famous quote from that movie is, It's a hell of a thing killing a man. It's a sentiment that comes back to haunt him. Unfortunately for Will Money, he needs money, and with the prospect of getting more money on the line to give his kids a better life and the allure of the life he once knew, the siren song of violence proves too hard to ignore, and that leads him down a path towards death, destruction, and bloodshed. And it's not until death comes for someone that money cares about that he's truly able to put his morals aside. Instead of walking away from it all, he walks a path soaked in blood to take vengeance on those who wronged him. On a meta level, the Unforgiven comparison works quite well. The movie takes place during 1880, a period in which the Old West and the era of the gunslinger was waning. In the twilight of his life, money must forego a quiet existence to return to the violence and carnage from which his myth was forged. It was something that felt mirrored in Clint Eastwood's own career. The movie star turned director made a name for himself in TV Westerns like Rawhide and spaghetti Westerns with the likes of Sergio Leone in the 1960s. Nearly 30 years years later, Eastwood returned to the genre that helped make him a household name. But just as the era of the Outlaw Cowboy was coming to a close in Unforgiven, the Western's reign in Hollywood was seemingly at an end as well. As Roger Ebert wrote in his review of Unforgiven, if the Western was not dead, it was dying. Audiences preferred science fiction and special effects. It was time for an elegy and the same sentiment can be applied to Rick and Morty. It's a show in its seventh season, after having undergone a radical upheaval in the form of recasting its two leads. In the past few seasons, the show has poked fun at its own fan base's nebulous request to go back to the old Rick and Morty, classic Rick and Morty. I'm so sick of that f***ing note. What the f*** does it even mean? So, is Unmort Rickon an elegy for classic Rick and Morty? Well, in a sense, yes. Because it so thoroughly clears the canonical deck of all the baggage and detritus of years past. It removed Rick's biggest nemesis from the playing field in a seemingly permanent way. And it gave the show's other enduring antagonist a super weapon so powerful it can erase cannon in the blink of an eye. And like Will Money in Unforgiven, who's been compared to Achilles in the Iliad, Rick C-137 is someone who's capable of immense violence. Rick C-137 refused to use that innate capacity for violence and rejected Rick Prime's implicit invitation to abandon his emotional attachments and explore the multiverse. And just like for Will Money and for Achilles, that refusal led to the death of someone close to him, in Rick's case, his wife, Diane. Wow, the wife guy, dead wife Rick. It's an act of brutality that sets Rick C-137, an unlikely figure in that literary tradition, on a path of vengeance. He's on a single-minded odyssey across the multiverse in search of the man who killed his wife in not just his own world, but in all worlds, Rick Prime. Unlike Rick Prime, Rick C-137 does develop new attachments along the way. Despite his abundant cosmic nihilism and self-destructive behaviors, Rick C-137 really does care about his family deep down. But his death drive is so powerful that Rick C-137 is willing to forsake all reason, logic, and regard for the safety of himself and others when a chance at genuine vengeance against Rick Prime presents itself. And holy smokes does he ever get that vengeance. In a grisly sequence, Rick C-137 doesn't use any high-tech gadgets on Rick Prime. He beats him to death with his hands, as Rick Prime slowly anamorphs into a pile of loose meat. It's honestly hard to watch, and the show lingers on the wet squelching of crunching bone and viscera for a long time. When the deed is done, we're left to reckon with one of the show's most challenging questions yet. Who is Rick now that he's taken his vengeance? It's telling that in the aftermath of beating Rick Prime to death, Mazzy Star's look on down from the bridge plays in the background. The song was used to similar effect to soundtrack Morty's dissociative thousand yard stare in the episode Rick Potion Number Nine. That took place in the aftermath of Rick and Morty burying their own dead bodies after they escaped the Cronenberg dimension. How do you resume normal life when you've done the unthinkable after you've buried a version of yourself, either literally in Morty's case or metaphorically in Rick's in this episode? It's understandable why that would shatter Morty's reality, I mean, he's just a child. But it speaks volumes that for Rick, in the wake of finally taking his vengeance on the man who killed his wife, it isn't the prospect of his other arch enemy escaping with a weapon too cool to name that breaks him, it's his grandson giving him a big hug and a hearty congratulations. The episode asks another important question as well. Is Rick doomed to perpetuate this cycle of violence? Would he have become Rick Prime with enough time? While Rick Prime is getting turned into a Jackson Pollock painting, he taunts Rick C 137. He says, Admit it, you would have been me. I just walked into your garage before you walked into mine. But eventually you did. You lived in my house. Rick is given an impossible choice to stop Evil Morty from escaping with the Omega device, or to slowly and deliberately beat Rick Prime to death. For Rick, it's no choice at all. With each punch, that becomes clearer and clearer as Rick Prime transforms from a sneering supervillain into a ragged pile of blood, bone, and gore. Is it over? Is is he not exactly an alive amount of blood? But even when Rick and the viewers knew that vengeance would ultimately be a hollow pursuit, leaving Rick to reckon with a profound feeling of emptiness, it was something that he was compelled to see through on an existential level. Evil Morty hits the nail on the head with his detached assessment. How's it feel? Better? No? Exactly the same? Yeah, it always does. Hope you're happy with your choice, off. Now, Evil Morty could easily take his ultimate revenge. He could destroy all Ricks by wiping them from the multiverse. And despite his grandfather ostensibly being the smartest man in the universe, Evil Morty's emotional intelligence is far greater in this moment. Evil Morty has already taken his revenge on countless Ricks. He's seen what it brings. He leaves with the Omega device schematics and the most important weapon of all, leverage. But he won't actually use it to solve his Rick problem once and for all. Because using a weapon like this doesn't get you left alone, Morty. Think I want a bunch of vengeful summers coming after me? And that's all Evil Morty really wants. Like Will Money at the outset of Unforgiven, Evil Morty wants some peace and quiet. He wants to hang up his portal gun and just enjoy the sunset after braving the horrors of the infinite. Evil Morty's aloof attitude towards vengeance and his manipulation of both Rick C-137 and Rick Prime is engineered to ensure his own perpetual peace through isolation. It's a stark contrast to Rick C-137, whose restlessness in the face of a burning need for vengeance leaves him incapable of finding true peace. Revenge is shown to be an ultimately hollow pursuit. It's a point hammered home by the post credit scene of Uncle Slow's wife leaving her family behind to get answers about her husband's disappearance. She could just as easily have walked the same road as Rick 137 yet instead, she finds love in a hopeless place. And by opening herself up to that, she's able to leave that gnawing need for vengeance behind and to build a new foundation of happiness with someone else. So where does the show go from here? Obviously, there's Chekhov's Omega device in the clutches of Evil Morty, and Rick always has a legion of other people he's pissed off over the years across the multiverse. But Rick's most enduring arch nemesis, his driving force for vengeance, is now gone. As series co-creator Dan Harmon said in the post-show interview, Rick can do whatever he wants for the rest of his short life. And that must be a genuinely terrifying thought after being of such a single-minded purpose for so long. Unlike Will Money, I don't expect Rick to ride off into the sunset, because Will Money was a man who knew what he was about and knew what he was capable of. And despite his incredible intelligence, who Rick really is is a question I don't think he can answer. Anyway, folks, there you have it. That's everything you need to know about the latest Rick and Morty. We'll be back next week with another breakdown for you, but in the meantime, tell us, what did you think of this episode? Did you spot anything that we missed? How How is the worst turd a, a pizza? <laughs> Let us know in the comments below, and for the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, make sure you stay tuned to Nerdist.com.